Isn't it crazy how much we pay for new brand name clothes? Why don't we buy new kids clothes if they just outgrow them in a few months? Would it be great if there was a place to discover awesome discounts on gently used clothes? There is. Swap.com, the world's largest online consignment and thrift store. Stop driving to store after store and sifting through racks. Shop millions of clothes in seconds on Swap.com. Shopping at Swap.com helps prevent textile waste from polluting the environment. If something doesn't fit, enjoy hassle-free returns within 30 days, no questions asked. Blurry Photos listeners can use the code CPC40 for a whopping 40% off till November 30th, 2017. Plus free shipping on your first order over 10 bucks. Check it out at Swap.com. This episode brought to you by Cards Against Humanity, who asked us not to read an ad. So enjoy the show! <laughs> oh yeah, gotcha! It was like a real thing, but, but still incorporated into this episode. Two birds with one cackle. If you're collecting different versions of the Cards Against Humanity uh, ad, that's a special unique one for this month only. <laughs> Highly collectible. Hey, everybody. Hi. 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 It is the zenith of our power. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, the, the falling action happens pretty quickly. This is where we have the most TVs in our power. It is time for the end of Blurry Photober. Oh, my God. But it never really ends, does it? But it never really ends. <laughs> Until it starts again. <laughs> I wish I could join you in mad cackling. I, unfortunately, am haunted by a just insidious chest cold, and I'm just never going to stop hacking. Never going to give you up. Never going to let you down. But I'm also never going to stop coughing. This has been the month of basically disease <laughs> well and it's our own fault for setting up a kissing booth at the paranormal con- uh, conference like yeah it seemed hilarious at the time but boy we really tongued down some weirdos <laughs> tongued down we tongued them down tongued down for what it's like i think that's a johnny cash song <laughs> mr garfield's been tongued down tongued down <laughs> tongued down Jesus Christ. My gosh, what has been going on? Uh, So, like, after the Haunted Dolls live show, I got the most debilitating food poisoning, I think. Could have just been talking about Robert the Doll, but I was, and and Mark did too. That's That's the even weirder thing. We were both on our asses the next day. Like, couldn't, couldn't move. Maybe, did you, were you guys doing like a, uh, 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 we did a kissing booth there too, dude. Uh, yeah, did you do a, like a, a a lady and a, a lady and the tramp kind of situation, but with a very <laughs> suspect tamale? We we both had pizza there uh, at the beat kitchen. We each had our own, which was a bad idea because they were huge. And like the next day, we we didn't even have the same thing. We couldn't have had different, more different pizzas. And yeah, the next day we were out for food poisoning. I got better just in time for the trip to Milwaukee. And then, just this past week, I came down with uh, strep, I think. Maybe it's cancer. I don't know. But, like, the thing with that is it doesn't come and go. It'll hang around. And so, like, there was a few days where I just couldn't couldn't even get out of bed. So, that's why, like, it's uh, the episode has been late and all kinds of stuff has been off kilter. And then you came down with this cold. So, we've just been... Um, all kinds of hot messes. Boo. Lately. Sickness. Right? right. Am I right? Get what I mean? But I uh, hope everybody else is doing okay for uh, Photober. Yeah, I hope it has been just full of spookily dookalies for you. Terrors and, and what's nots. Oh, one thing. Uh, I was on an episode of Cinema Jaw, some of our friends from the Chicago Podcast Co-op, and had a great time talking about urban legend movies giving my uh, top five urban legend movies, running down some uh, some of the folklore behind other movies and those too, and uh, arbitrating some arguments about famous movie killers and whether or not they deserve to be in the pantheon of, of such luminaries as Freddy and Jason, Michael Myers. So it's a, it was a great time. Oh, and, and, and the leprechaun. And the leprechaun. 
You come for me, gold. So I, I highly advise you to check out the the last episode of Cinema Jaw with me as a guest. Uh, and thanks again to Matt, Rye, Elias, and Phil for having me on. And that is the business at hand. Yep. That was the business at hand. Now the business at hand is terrifying tales as we have over the years proven. We get only the most scary, horrifying literature from all reaches of the planet. I know it's hard to listen to. I know that you lose sleep and that sometimes at the most random moments, you are once again terrified by that which we have brought to you. But I ask you, dear listener, steal yourself, work up your courage, test your mettle against that which we now proudly do display to your ears. That sentence was more awkward than I had planned. Chewie, hit the hyperdrive. (laughs) You aren't wrong. This is probably the backbone of Blurry Photos. It is in its sixth year. Yeah. Am I right? Am I right in saying that? Yeah, we have entered the sixth year. Something that we have uh, brought to you from the beginning, and it has been a staple. We are continuing the tradition. It's proud. It is proud. It is loud. And as as you said, it'll harrow your soul. Can you even prepare? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good point. It's unfair for me to ask you to steal yourself against that which there is no stealing. These terrible, terrible stories. Oh man, you you nailed it. You can you can take that as as many entendres as you want. <laughs> so shall we get rolling? Oh yes, we shall. This first tale is called the Vampire Hermit. Double terror, homelessness, and vampires. She was nervous when her husband said they were to stay in the abandoned house, for it contained the corpse of a hermit who once lived there, enshrined in a coffin in the loft. We're just getting right to it. (laughs) This is, yeah, zero to 60. Strap in. It was an old custom and one no longer popular among the Iroquois people, but the hermit had insisted upon it before his death. To who we don't know because they are solitary, so... (laughs) He insisted to the stars. There was good hunting in this place, her man had declared, and so they moved in and she unpacked their few belongings in the front room, refusing to go up into the loft, you know, where the hermit's body lay. When her husband left to hunt, she immediately put her daughter in the sling on her back and went to look for roots and berries, staying away until her husband returned with the meat. As she prepared the evening meal for them, her husband, tired from his hunting, climbed up into the loft to rest. The hut soon filled with the delicious smell of roasting meats. Game meats. She was sorting through the berries when she heard a muffled cry and the crunch of breaking bones. As she stared upward, frozen in horror, blood started to drip from the rafters. She crept silently to the far corner of the room where she could see up into the loft. A skeleton with glowing red eye sockets was feasting on the body of her husband, its teeth and chin covered in blood. Her daughter stirred restlessly at her back, and she knew that she had to get away immediately. She just had that feeling. <laughs> Something told her. Just she just she was going with her gut. An inkling. She had an inkling. I'm gonna run down to the stream to fetch water for the broth. Sorry, I can't do girl voices now. She called toward the loft. I will be right back. Blink, 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 blink. Can I, wait a minute. She saw the skeleton. Yep. But it didn't see her? No. Well, it okay. didn't have eyes. It had glowing sockets, not the same thing. All right. Glowing red can see. I think we've all, I think we can all agree on that. Hal, Hal proved that. 
I'll prove, sir. I'll prove. She took the pail and walked towards the stream, trying to appear normal. She was flying casually. As soon as she was out of sight among the trees, she started to run as fast as she could. She heard a terrible howl from the direction of the house as the creature heard them escaping and started to pursue. The young mother stumbled desperately through the woods, the creature's howls growing closer as it pursued them. Her little daughter wailed in fright at her back as she fled in terror, sobbing, and was almost without hope. The monster was gaining on her. It's bindle swinging back and forth, <laughs> pausing only to scratch hobo marks in the trees, letting <laughs> others know where there's good pie pickings. In a last act of despair, she shouted the Iroquois distress cry. Hoping someone would be near enough to hear it. Her call was taken up and answered by the by the warriors from the village. She could hear the creature breathing behind her as she sprinted to the trees at the edge of the village. Here her strength failed her and she collapsed to the ground. Just before the monster could pounce on them, a party of warriors burst through the gates of the gates? Okay. Burst through the gates of the village, chasing the skeleton away. They swung their torches wide, and the skeleton retreated farther into the woods. The warriors chased the creature back to the hermit's house and set fire to the cabin. As the flames encompassed the house, a terrible howling and roaring came from the loft, and the vampire hermit fled into the woods in the form of a rabbit never to plague the young woman and her daughter again. So it's also, uh, the hermit vampires have a little bit set of rules. They didn't get bats, but they get rabbits, which I honestly think is better. Hmm. Bon oui? <laughs> yeah. Bon oui? Don't forget, if you're ever in trouble, the Iroquois distress cry. Wom, 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 wom. Wow, so uh, tough deal to be a vampire and also a skeleton? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I like that it was a skeleton because it's not like, it's like taking the the Jiangxi even further. It's not just like a corpse that can't move. Now it's just a skeleton that still feasts on blood. But where does the blood go? (laughs) It's a a, uh, a hermit with a mop. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what what that does. All right. Well, I will continue this truly. This titillating trail of terrors. Ghastly train. Tingling. This one is called The White Foe. There was a father and mother who lived with their teenage daughter in an old house in a large city in Japan which will remain unnamed. But 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 you will you'll name it eventually, right? <laughs> Poof, bomb. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> the house was from the Showa era and was a cultural property protected by the government. When the family moved into the house, there was a white phone in the hallway. One day the phone started to ring. When the father answered it, There was no sound on the other end, just silence. The phone began ringing constantly at all times of the day and night, which is the definition of constantly. Whenever they answered it, there was nobody on the other end, just an eerie silence. As time passed, the annoying phone calls continued, and the family was very disturbed. Ooh-wah-ah-ah-ah. Dozens of times, they were awoken in the middle of the night by the phone ringing, and every time they answered it, they were greeted by the same uneasy silence. One night, when the phone rang, the father picked up the receiver and left it on the floor. He was about to go back to bed, but then he heard something. It was the faint sound of whispering, and it was coming from the phone. The father picked up the handset again and put it to his ear, but the whispering immediately stopped. All he could hear was... silence. This went on for a few days. Whenever anyone answered the phone, there would be only silence, but if they put the handset on the ground, they could hear a voice whispering. 
If they picked up the handset, the whispering would stop. The family were at their wit's end. They tried everything they could think of. They changed their phone number. Calls kept coming. They made a complaint to the telephone company. There was nothing that could be done. They even contacted the police, but it was all to no avail. No matter what they tried, the white phone kept ringing day and night. Gradually, the father began to suspect that something supernatural was going on. He paid a shaman to come and bless the house. A shaman? A shaman! But it did no good. He asked a priest to come and perform an exorcism on the house. Because you can just do that. Right. Mostly the phone, though. Just don't don't forget to get a good coat of the Holy Spirit on that phone, please. (laughs) But the phone calls continued. It was driving the family out of their minds. Eventually, they decided to sell the house. Even though the housing market was down and they would receive less than they had paid for it in the first place, they just wanted to get rid of it and move out. However, on the day they decided to sell the house, the white phone stopped ringing. There were no more phone calls. The parents couldn't decide what to do. Although the phone calls had stopped, they had no guarantee that they wouldn't start up again at some later date. After thinking it over a few days, they came to the conclusion that they should go ahead with the sale of the house. The next morning, their daughter was found dead in her bedroom. She was hanging by the neck from a rope, and it seemed that she had taken her own life. Lying on the ground beneath her were the remains of her cell phone. It had been smashed to pieces. Clutched in her cold, dead hand was a scrawled note. It simply read, I'm sorry. It was me making the phone calls. Her parents were horrified and distraught. The tragedy was almost too much for them to bear. For days they cried and cried, unable to understand why their daughter had committed suicide. They canceled the sale of the house and took it off the market. The grieving parents kept their daughter's room just as it had been on the night she took her life. They didn't want to touch anything was like a shrine to her. Several months later, just as the couple were recovering from the tragedy, the phone began to ring again. It was exactly the same as before. Whenever they picked up the handset, silence. But when they placed it on the floor, they could hear a voice whispering on the other end of the line. The parents were shocked and confused. They couldn't understand what was going on, and it was extremely upsetting. They thought their daughter had been making the phone calls But now their daughter was dead. Who could be calling them? Was it all some kind of sick joke? Was someone aware of what had happened and perpetuating a cruel trick on them? The father was determined to get to the bottom of the mystery. He went out and bought a tape recorder. That night, when the white phone rang as usual, he got out of bed and raced downstairs to answer it. He put the handset on the floor and placed the tape recorder beside it. Then he went back to bed. Now he's thinking with portals. In the morning... He couldn't wait to check the tape recorder, but when he pressed play, he got such a shock he almost fainted. On the recording, he heard his daughter's voice. She was whispering over and over, Help me. Help me. Help me. They say the father was driven insane. The parents sold the house and moved away. The house was rented out by the new owner, but anyone who lived there never stayed for long. They were plagued night and day by calls from the white phone. Years later, during renovations, the floorboards were torn up and workmen found something strange. Under the floor, directly beneath the phone, they discovered a woman's skull with long, stringy white hair still attached to it. Nobody knew who the skull belonged to, and the rest of the skeleton was never found. All work on the house stopped, and it was abandoned. Today, it is preserved as a cultural property. The government does not allow anyone to live there or tear it down to build on the site. They say the place has even been removed from the map. Good luck finding it. F***ers. Bonk, wait! I I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. Pretty creepy. So, am I correct in assuming it wasn't the daughter... 
who said, I'm sorry, who, who wrote the note, I'm sorry, it was me, that it was the ghost that compelled the writing. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I think it had to be, right? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty good. Yeah. All right. I got, I got one here. Are you ready? I don't know if I can be. This story is called A Death Waltz. <laughs> Death Waltz now. That's a little song we wrote called Death Waltz. <laughs> Within an hour of my arrival at Fort Union, my new post, my best friend Johnny came back to the barracks with a broad grin and a friendly clout on the shoulder. Johnny came marching back? That's right, with a broad grin and a friendly clout. He hurried over as soon as he heard I had come, and we'd talk till sunset and beyond. <laughs> Into darkness, evening, night time. Almost eight o'clock. <laughs> Now, as soon as Johnny mentioned Celia's name, I knew he had it bad for her. To hear him talk, Celia was the most amazing woman who had ever graced God's green earth. Was he down on his knees? She was breaking his heart. Oh, no. He was begging her please, though. (laughs) She was the sister-in-law of the captain, and all the young men on the base were infatuated with her. Celia was the prettiest of the eligible ladies that graced Fort Union society. That is a lot of qualifiers. Makes me think maybe she's not so easy on the eyes as earlier indicated. <laughs> the prettiest of the eligible ladies at Fort Union. <laughs> lot a of, lot of sorting. There were two of them. <laughs> she liked the spice of adventure to be found so near the wilds. Now Johnny alternated between elation when Celia talked with him and utter despair when she flirted with another man. I watched their court trip from afar and was troubled. There was something about Celia I didn't like. I never mentioned it to Johnny on account of his friendly clouting, <laughs> but I thought she was too much of a flirt. I wished Johnny had fallen for a nicer woman, maybe the best-looking, eligible lady at Fort Union on J Street, maybe. <laughs> How about the best-looking ineligible lady? Oh, now you're talking. Fruit, forbidden fruit is the sweetest. Oh, Johnny was known as a homewrecker. <laughs> Old Johnny homewrecker. <laughs> About a month after I arrived at Fort Union, a birthday dance was given for one of the officers. Now, to Johnny's elation, Celia agreed to be his partner at the dance, and Johnny was dancing on cloud nine all night, leaving Celia utterly alone as Johnny was up there twirling and gamboling amongst the clouds. Until a messenger came gasping into the room to report an Apache raid. Oh, Lord. With a small scream of terror, Celia clung shamelessly to Johnny and begged him not to go even though he was the lieutenant put in charge of the mission. Well, sir, Johnny proposed to her right then and there, and Celia accepted. Jesus. Furthermore, Celia told Johnny that she would wait for him and that if he didn't come back, she would never marry. Not Uh ever, never. Never, ever, ever, never. There's nothing that love requires more than an eternity of solitude if something should happen. (laughs) This is my I believe you face. (laughs) Well, you and I agree. Now, I doubted Celia's sincerity. With Johnny, he just ate it up like a tin plate covered in soaking grits. (laughs) I was assigned to Johnny's troop, so I had to leave too. We started out the next morning and had a rough week tracking down and fighting the Apaches. Johnny split up the troop, taking command of the first group and giving me command of the second. My men reached the rendezvous point with no casualties, humble brag. But only half of the other group arrived, and Johnny was not among them. They'd been ambushed by the Apaches, and I had to take command of the whole troop. Well, we searched for survivors but never did find Johnny's body. 
As soon as I could, I ordered the men to return home. Now Celia made a terrible, heart-rending scene when she found out Johnny was missing. She flung herself into my arms when I gave her the news and sobbed becomingly. <laughs> also, accidentally touching my crotch a number of times. It was three days before I realized my pocket watch was gone. <laughs> yeah, she sobbed becomingly, as a woman in her state no. should. <laughs> I believe I'm attracted to that weeping woman. I like the idea of, of a woman sobbing because of her fian her husband's dead and somebody just nodding. That's a good sob. That is becoming this situation, yes. The display turned my stomach. It was so obviously insincere. I excused myself hastily and led her to the ministrations of the other soldiers. From that time on, I was careful to stay away from Celia who mourned less than a week for my friend before resuming her flirtatious ways. Jezebel. About a month later, a rich, handsome lieutenant arrived at Fort Union. He was from the east, and Celia took a real shine to him. Johnny was completely forgotten, and so was her promise to him. It wasn't long before Celia and the lieutenant were engaged and started planning a big old wedding. Nothing but the very best would suit Celia, and her bridegroom had the money to indulge her. Everyone in Fort Union was invited to the ceremony, from the most to the least eligible. <laughs> and the weather was perfect on the day of the wedding. Everyone turned out in their best clothes, and the wedding was a social success. After the ceremony, all the guests were invited to a celebratory ball. We were waltzing around the room when the door flew open with a loud bang. A gust of cold air blew in, dimming the candles, and a heart-wrenching wail echoed through the room. The music stopped abruptly, and everyone turned to look at the door, where standing there was the swollen dead body of a soldier. It was dressed in an officer's uniform. Who could it be? I, who's to say at this point? For the eyes were burning with a terrible fire. The temple had a huge gash from a hatchet blow. And there was no scalp. The results of the test came in. It was Johnny. <laughs> the whole crowd stood silent as if in a trance. No one moved. No one even murmured. And this was a crowd given to a solid murmur at any given moment. I wanted to cry out when I recognized Johnny, but I was struck dumb like the rest of the wedding guests. Johnny walked across the room and took Celia out of a bridegroom's arms. She was frozen in horror and could not resist. Johnny had become a powerful lich and had enthralled everyone in attendance. Using the ancient bone saver of Zumacallis, <laughs> Johnny looked at the musicians further pushing upon his lich-like ability to control the living. Still in a trance, they began to play a horrible, demonic-sounding waltz. Johnny and Celia began to dance. They swept around and around the room, doing a very intricate waltz. Many people were jealous of their skill. Johnny held the white-clad bride tied against his bloated body, while a deathly pallor crept over her face. Her steps slowed, but still Johnny held her tight and moved them around in a grisly parody of a waltz. Now, okay, a second ago it was intricate. Now, come on. Celia's eyes bulged. She turned as white as her gown and her mouth sagged open. She gave one small gasp and gis up and died in his arms. Johnny dropped Celia's body on the floor and stood over her, wringing his blood-stained hands. He threw back his head and gave another unearthly wail that echoed around the room. Then he vanished through the door. Now, released from the trance, the crowd gasped and exclaimed. The bridegroom ran to Celia and knelt beside her, wringing his hands in the same manner as Johnny. His cries were all too human. Which was important to point out as now apparently the dead are walking amongst us. Unable to bear the sight of the stricken bridegroom, I took my captain aside and asked permission to take a small detail back to the place where our troop had been attacked by the Apaches. 
to search once more for my dead friend. He sent a dozen men with me. We combed the area and finally found Johnny's body hidden in a crevice. A coward's crevice, if you will. It looked exactly the same as it had appeared on the night of Celia's wedding. We brought it back to the fort with us, and the captain buried it beside Celia. It does not seem appropriate. <laughs> Celia's bridegroom went back east shortly after we buried Johnny, and I resigned my commission a few days later and went home, never wanting to see that cursed place again. I heard later that Celia's ghost was often seen at dusk, weeping over Johnny's grave. But I never went back to Fort Union to see it for myself. That reaction does not make a lot of sense as she held him in limited regard in life, and less so in death as he murdered her. But I still, out of respect for Johnny's military sacrifice, will, with hat in hand, say, Bon That is not how you get rid of a lich. No! <laughs> Dancing and, and cavorting around. Now, see, they, they could have said when they went out to find the body that they found it easily as there were tracks from where it came back to the village. and Right? Something that indicated that it had been up and moving. But, you know, who, who am I? I'm just a, you know, ninth level lich hunter. Right. Yeah. You know, what do I know about hunting the, know? the undead magicians of, of yesteryear? <laughs> uh, also, Johnny was in that crevice for a month now. Right. I don't, I feel like Johnny's a little too articulated for that much decomposition. Now we're right, we're right back to the, uh, the witch elm again. How much <laughs> decomposition? What, what was going on in there? You see, you're stuck on that. I'm stuck on a freshly undead would not have that much power. Over the living. It's true. It's true. Takes time. You got to build that up. Oh, man. Johnny the Lich. The, the, what was he? A lieutenant? Yeah. Johnny a Lich, the Lich Lieutenant. Lieutenant Lichberg. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. Got one here called Open the Door. I shouldn't have been there. My friend was supposed to be alone. Three years have passed since that night, but I'll try to tell you what happened, as far as I know. Earlier that day, my friend's parents had left for a weekend vacation. She was alone in the house. I offered to come over and keep her company. Nice. I arrived around 8 p.m. and we spent the night chatting and watching TV in her bedroom. The time passed so quickly that before we knew it, it was midnight. That's when everything got weird. We began to hear strange noises outside her room. At first, we thought it was just the house settling, but then we stopped talking and listened. They were soft footsteps coming up the stairs. Do you think your parents have come back? I asked. She said her parents were not supposed to return until the next evening. Besides, there were too many footsteps for just two people. I ran over to the door, and just before the footsteps reached the hallway, I turned the key in the lock. Suddenly, there was a profound silence. Is, is there anyone out there? My friend asked nervously. We were sure there was someone outside, but who could it be? Just then we heard a beep. We whirled around and stared at my friend's laptop. She had just received an email. She opened it. The sender was unrecognizable, just a random combination of numbers and letters. When we read the message, it sent a chill down our spines. Whatever happens, do not open the door. As soon as I read those words, a sinking feeling came over me. My heart was beating fast, and I felt like I was about to have a panic attack. I didn't know what to think. Maybe it was just someone playing a silly joke on us. I don't know. Maybe it was someone trying to save our lives. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Now we knew there was someone there, behind the door. Suddenly, we heard a voice. It sounded like my friend's mother. Please open the door. Your father and I were in a car accident. We are badly hurt. Please open the door and help us. Yeah. When she heard this, my friend stared at me wide-eyed. I could still remember the expression on her face. She was in shock. Neither of us knew what to do. Please open the door, a male voice pleaded. We need your help. It sounded just like her father. My friend and I just stood there for a few seconds, frozen to the spot. Then she started towards the door. 
I grabbed her by the arm and held her back. She turned slowly to me and said, It's my parents. They need help. I'm going to open the door. What about the email? I hissed through gritted teeth. What if it's true? What if they're not your parents? What if I need more taffeta? (laughs) What if, come on! Nonsense, she said. You heard them. Those were the voices of my parents. Before I could do anything, she struggled out of my grasp and walked towards the door. I still don't know what made me do it. Maybe maybe it was sheer terror. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. The only thing I could think to do was to run to the closet and hide. I didn't know what was going to happen, but I was frightened out of my wits. Ah, ah, ah. What I heard then, I will never be able to forget. To this day, I have nightmares about it. My friend opened the door, and all I could hear were her screams. They were blood-curdling screams, filled with pain and terror. And blood. I couldn't help her. All I could do was cower in the closet, keeping perfectly still, praying that I wouldn't be found. I don't know how long I stayed in there. I don't know. It could have been hours. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. By the time I felt safe enough to come out, it was morning. The bedroom was empty. The door was open. My friend was nowhere to be found. I ran all the way home and called her parents. When I managed to reach them, they told me they were still on vacation. I told them what had happened the night before, and they immediately called the police. They searched for days, but they never found my friend. I doubt they ever will. I don't know what happened that night. I don't know. I don't know who or what it was that came and took my friend away. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But I know they were out there. I also know that I shouldn't have been there that night. I shouldn't know that they exist. I know that someday they will come for me. But whatever happens, I will not open the door. A bong way? Bong way? I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot this guy doesn't know, and that makes me question him. Yeah, I said it. All right, I got a, I got a, a terror. And I, I wish, unfortunately, I've got two great Southern stories in a row. So I just, and you can't do the Southern accent the whole time. So we're just going to have to deal with it. <laughs> this is called the Burnt Church. She was sophisticated, poised, and cultured. In retrospect, this should have made them suspicious. A teacher like her should be presiding over a girl's school in London or New York, not seeking a position in small-town Georgia. But at the time, they were too delighted by her application to ask any questions. It'll be good for our daughter to learn some culture, the attorney's wife told the pastor's wife. And our boy may find some table manners that last the pastor's wife responded with a smile. God, I hate them. (laughs) School was called into session in the local church shortly after the arrival of the teacher, and soon the children were bringing glowing reports home. Teacher was special. Teacher taught them manners and diction as well as reading, writing, and arithmetic. All the children loved teacher. Now, the parents were delighted by the progress their children were making at school. Teacher had been a real find. A godsend, said the preacher's wife. Gotta hate her. But not everyone in town was so satisfied. Local ne'er-do-well, we'll call him Smith, for his anonymity, had more sinister stories to tell. That woman ain't natural. He told the blacksmith, waving a bottle of whiskey for emphasis. I seen her out in the woods after dark, dancing around a campfire and chanting in a strange language. Nonsense. The blacksmith retorted, calmly hammering a headed iron bar in his anvil. They say she's got an altar in her room, and it ain't an altar to the almighty, Smith insisted leaning forward and blowing his boozy breath into the blacksmith's face. You're drunk, said the blacksmith, lifting the hot iron so it barred the man from coming any closer. Go home and sleep it off. (laughs) Smith left the smithy, but he continued to talk wild about the teacher in the weeks that followed. During those weeks, a change gradually came over to school children. Typical hijinks and pranks that all children played lessened. Their laughter died away. 
and when they did misbehave, it was on a much more ominous scale than before, if you catch my drift. Items began disappearing from houses and farms. Expensive, quality items like jewelry, farm tools, money, textiles, fine oils, expensive liqueurs, perfumes from France, crystal salt shakers, and even fine silver dining implements. When children talked back to their parents, there was a hard edge to their voices, and they did not apologize for their rudeness, even when punished. Now listen, I'm going to take a quick aside from this story to say what you are describing is a group of like-minded children a-going through puberty, just putting it out there. And my daughter lied to me the other day, the attorney's wife said to the pastor's wife in distress. I saw her punch her younger brother and steal an apple from him, and she denied it to my face. She practically called me a liar. God, I hate her. The games the children play in the woods frighten me, the pastor's wife confessed. They chant in a strange language. They move in such a strange manner, almost like a ritual dance. hate her, too. Could it be something they are learning at school? Asked the stupid attorney's wife. Surely not. Teacher is such a sweet, sophisticated lady, said that idiot pastor's wife. But they exchanged uneasy glances. Now Smith, on the other hand, was sure. Liquor sure. That teacher's turning the youngins to the devil. That's what she's doing. He proclaimed up and down the streets of town. Don't be ridiculous, the preacher told them when they passed him in front of the mercantile, where he did like to loiter. (laughs) I ain't ridiculous. Use is blind, Smith told him. That teacher ought to be burned at the stake like they burned the witches in Salem. Historical side note, they were not actually witches, and so once again, Smith is falling on the wrong side of history. Now the pastor, pale with wrath, ordered Smith out of his sight. But the 'er ne'er-do-well's words rang in his mind and would not be pushed away. The children did continue to behave oddly, almost like they were possessed of hormones. He would, the preacher decided reluctantly, have to look into it someday. Whatever on earth that would mean. Put, Put on his preaching leathers, roll up his sleeves, and investigate, I guess. (laughs) That day came sooner than even he thought, for the very next Monday his little boy came down with a cold, and his mother kept him home from school. Which was witchcraft! No, no, wait. Wait. (laughs) When the preacher returned from his duties for a late lunch, his wife came running up to him as soon as he entered the door, and she was pale with fright. I hear him chanting something over and over again in his bedroom, she gasped. So dumb. So I crept to the door to listen. He was saying the Lord's Prayer backwards. (laughs) The pastor gasped and clutched his Bible to his chest as goosebumps erupted all over his body. This was positively satanic. And there was nowhere the boy could have learned such a thing in this town unless he learned it at school. Forever the enemy of organized religion. Knowledge. At that moment, the attorney's wife came bursting in the door behind him. Quick, pastor, quick, she cried like an idiot. Smith is running through the town with a torch, talking about burning down the school. The children are still in class. I'd like to point out that the attorney's wife is going to the preacher and not the police. The pastor raced out of the house with the two women at his heels, clucking and nipping. They and the other townsfolk who followed them were met by a huge cloud of smoke coming from the direction of the church, where the the school children had their lessons. The building was already ablaze as frantic parents beat at the flames with wet sacks. (laughs) On account of they did not go to school. Or threw buckets of water from the pump into the inferno. 
Smith could be heard cackling unrepentantly from the far side of the building, which was full of the screams of the trapped students and the teacher. The fire blazed with a supernatural kind of force, and the pastor thought he heard the sound of the teacher laughing from within the building when it became apparent that no one could be saved. The church burnt for several hours, and when it was finally extinguished, ain't what wasn't but nothing left. Mourning parents tried to find something of their children to bury, and Smith wisely disappeared from town. His mission against the works of Satan completed. So so he's in there laughing, but he got out. Okay. <laughs> he's like he's like Bruce Banner, but for burning children, and then it's just a lonely road with a sad song, I guess. Alright. <laughs> the teacher's burnt body was buried deep in the ground and covered with a brick tomb. The children's smaller bodies were interned beneath wooden crosses. Of all the students in the school that fall, only the pastor's small son survived. To this day, voices can be heard of the graveyard of a burnt church, chanting unintelligible words as the school children and the teacher once chanted in the woods outside of town. Sometimes apparitions are seen in dark walkers who roam the graveyard at night. And they say that a brick taken from the grave of the evil teacher can set fire to objects onto which they are placed. That is the weirdest coda to a burning witch story that I've ever heard. So, so is Smith is Smith like a like an inebriated Van Helsing? <laughs> I think so. By the way, I forgot I forgot I was still doing the voice. I I can stop now. <laughs> he's a he's he, he is a whiskey fueled demon hunter yeah he's like like blade but white and drunk and not for vampires but other than that same thing <laughs> wow yeah how about that the old burnt church i kind of and here's the other thing uh at no point in that story was there ever like a concrete ah, ha, ha, i did it for all we know <laughs> A drunken hobo just slaughtered a church full of people. Yeah. It's like, um, what was that David Carradine show? Oh, Kung Fu. Yeah, it's like Kung Fu, the legend continues. It's drunk foo. Yeah. Well, all right. How about I end us out here? Okay, do it. I have, you'll never believe it, but a Poe. M. Whoa. How do you pronounce that? Ho. M. <laughs> this one is called. Who's that? Who's that knocking at my door? Moving silently across the floor. Who's that lurking in my hall, tapping lightly on my wall? Who's that hiding in my shed? Is it something scary? Something dead? Who's that rustling in the dark? Something caused my dog to bark. Who's that crawling up the tree, peeking in and watching me? Weird. Who's that in the blackness deep towards my house I hear it creep? Who's that calling on the phone, looking in when I'm all alone? Who's that giving me a fright, scaring me so late at night? Who's that in my bathroom mirror, shadows growing, drawing nearer? Who's that crawling up my stair? I want to look, but do not dare. Who's that turning the handle around, opening my door without a sound? Who's that playing with my toys? They move around, but there's no noise. Who's that in my attic room, crackling and rattling in the gloom? Who's that lounging in my chair? It rocks and rocks, but no one's there. Who's that creeping in my window? I hide my head beneath my pillow. Who's that whispering in my ear? My heart beats with tremendous fear. Who's that tugging at my bed? Or is this all inside my head? Who's that when no one's there and something lightly touched my hair? And something brushed against my face and on my cheek I felt it place a horrid, slimy, cold, dead kiss. Who's that saying, Who is this? Oh, a bungwee. <laughs> oh, that 
That's awesome. I guess that'll do it then for this edition of Ghost Stories. The stories of Ghosts Gallery. In a flesh-eating, phone-ringing, lich-spiting nutshell. The only thing that will haunt you longer than the ghost of a soldier that you were married to, but not in sincerely, is puns! <laughs> There is another uh, horrifying tale of a creature that lives in the the upper rafters of an old theater, and it feeds on the sweet, sweet, delicious latex foam inside of every other Muppet. (laughs) It's the Kermit vampire. (laughs) I can hear in death, he can be a little Miss Piggy. Oh, well, listen, it ain't easy being green. And ghastly. Well, I've got a um, cautionary Japanese tale of predatory lenders that are only open after the sun goes down. And if you inquire with them about um, help in getting a car or a house, they will call you incessantly. They will never stop calling. Your phone will never stop ringing uh, until you sign up for a night loan. Nice. I like that because they're only open after after the sun goes down. You get do you, do you get do you get it? See what I'm seeing what I'm doing there. I get you. I get you. Did you hear about that absolutely awful sport that they tried? Uh, it was back in the '70s where they, there was a lot of unemployment, but it was also you know cowboy culture was was on the rise, and they did try that that absolutely terrible sport slash TV show. Roping the poor. <laughs> what? From your open, open the door. Oh. R- roping, roping the poor. <laughs> made me hide in a closet. Right? Roping the poor. Oof. Oof. Them's puds. Them's is Wait. the puds. Oh, I don't get a second. Oh, one. you do. You do. Sorry. I, I forget. Who's that drumming in my house? Who's much louder than a mouse? Who's tom-toms or bass drums blare? I want to know... Who's snare? <laughs> That's it. That's all. That's all I got. <laughs> Terrible. But um, bum This is the <laughs> drum hit at the end there. We just did a, a clinic and bunting. Oh, the bun- bunting the, poorly. The bunts. The buntsman's clinic. Thanks everybody for sending emails, writing into us. Like we said, uh, we don't always get around to saying them on air here, but we absolutely read each and every one of them. Yep. I've actually received a few messages from listeners who either have or have or know someone who has gone to the uh, caves, the the one with the Crystal Maiden. Oh, yeah, yeah, in Belize. In Belize, which is um, pretty amazing. I, I mean, to me, that, that seems like such an out-of-the-way, unknown, hard trip to do. Yeah. You know, but um, I guess it, it might be getting to be a little bit more commercial these days. I'm not sure, but um, uh, listener Amy sent us some pics of uh, her trip there and said that, yes, you can take pictures uh, if you go with a guide. So that's a good thing to, to know. Yeah. We can dispel that. Said that the only, the only strict rules to follow were that you had to wear socks while you're going through the cave. Okay. Uh, but um, yeah, but other than that, it uh, said it was quite an adventure and, and had a good time. But um, it's cool to know that uh, people go to this thing and, <laughs> and, and it is, you know, it's not like one of those weird, well, if, if you don't care if you get shot or not, you can do this. Yeah. So, so thanks everybody for sending that in. I've got one quick story here I'd like to share. I think it's funny from listener Jay-Z. <laughs> of course. Says my brother's a regional airline pilot based in the Southwest a couple of years ago, my sister-in-law gave him a label maker as a gift. As coincidence would have it, the labels he can make look exactly like the instrument labeling on the aircraft that he flies. <laughs> he realized this and decided to make a new label that reads, Deploy Chemtrails. <laughs> he stuck that onto a small magnet. Now, whenever he flies a, a new plane, he finds a suitably sinister-looking switch, attaches the label beneath it, takes a photo, and posts on conspiracy forums about how he's blowing the lid off the globalist attempt to poison us all. I love that. 
so far, he says that more often than not, people take him seriously, (laughs) (laughs) which is sad and hilarious. Maybe not in that order, but thank you, Jay-Z, for sharing that. That's pretty funny. Again, like I said, guys, uh, thanks to everybody for writing in. We appreciate them all. I can't promise that we'll get to any or all of them, but um, we will share uh, from time to time, and we read every single one of them and, and love you all for taking the time to do so. We absolutely do. So thank you so much. Don't forget to go to Facebook and keep pushing those likes for us. Uh, Don't forget to tell a friend about the show. If you see a friend, say a friend. And another thing that'll that'll help, if you frequent any social media sites like Reddit or Imgur or I don't don't know where else Instagram, (laughs) where else there even is, uh, Facebook posts, people who who want suggestions on, on new podcasts, Please put our name out there in the world and and help us uh, uh, get up there because that is the best way to get us exposure and stuff. Also, uh, retweet us on on Twitter and and like our uh, posts on there. That helps us out. Yes, please. Go to audibletrial.com slash blurry photos to get yourself a free audiobook download of your choice from many of the hundreds of thousands of titles they have. Right. Go to patreon.com slash blurry photos to sign up for some kick-ass rewards uh, from us. Uh, monthly content that uh, that you can't find anywhere else. Like we said, check out the Chicago Podcast Co-op shows, including Cinema Jaw, which I was just on recently. Give those guys a listen. Think you'll like them. Uh, don't forget to check out Dark Myths and all the, the great collective that goes on there. Uh, one thing that'll help us a lot is if you subscribe to us in iTunes, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, whatever you can do. Subscribing helps us track our numbers and helps make sure you never miss a show and that that is a a huge help to us uh as our five-star reviews on said sites yeah yeah thank you to everyone who has taken the time to do that and uh hope you have enjoyed this blurry photober Woo! it's almost killed us (laughs) yeah hope you have survived it as as we maybe have uh so for this episode of blurry photos I have been the Waltz and Lich, David Flora. And I've been Dave the Drunken Van Helsing Stecco. And if you want further harrowing ghost tales, hey, you might be bye-bye-bye. Tomorrow is state-sponsored fear-testing day and prank festival. Me, Yergis, Shmulat, Jampni, and Ergo are going to steal Hackforstab and paint like a Ministry of Rations lottery. Drive by hungry children. We promise food. We promise food. Then we drive. We drive. The children, they're running. They want the food. We not give it to them. Then we drive to playground and promise children cabbage bars, dyed potatoes, and boiled goat yum-yums. Then, as children run to car, oh, give to me sweet treats, thank you, we drive away and they chase, they chase. Break festival! Yeah, buddy, that sounds pretty good. Where are you getting the hawk forstab from, buddy? It's best part, Misha Divad. Is abandoned Hacked Forstab at Gradislav Metal Reclamation Center and Hot Pretzel Factory. We break in, we steal, we repaint. Is great plan, da? Nobody. What? Staying away from Gradislav Metal Reclamation Center and Hot Pretzel Factory, Forstab. That Forstab is haunting, buddy. You are not believing these stories, Misha Divad. You're man of world. You've ridden on airplane. Yeah, buddy. And Divad has seen some shit, buddy. You are to make a listen to Divad now. Abandoned Hak Forstab, not always abandoned, buddy. Used to have name. Used to be callings around town. Christine of Vichapop. Body? Body. Let Divad make tellings you the story 
of Christine, Novichopop. Sittings by the oil drum fire bodies make comfortables and holdings on to your dupas. This story is not for fainting of hearts. One time, there was a time, body, where local village nerd geek won't make impress girl in village. Nerd geek think, hey, body, girls like guys who driving the car. So he workings very hard for very long and savings enough peshtits to purchase old Hagforstau from dying goat farmer. Misha Divad, what is point to his story? Wiki spindle man want buy car. Wiki spindle man buy car. So why is matter to me? Hey, buddy. Divad getting two points. Just listening right now, buddy. Where was Divad? Ah. So Nerd Geek has car now, and Nerd Geek paintings car to be glorious colors of Karsakstan flag. Hakforstab remade into beautiful like new, and Nerd Geek turn head of pretty girls in village. But Nerd Geek startings to act different body. Nerd Geek starting comb of hair. He established business in front. Hearty and back haircut body. Oh. Puttings on acid wash jeans. An NBA logo jacket for team that never win championship. Charlotte Hornets. And somehow Nerd Geek finds Swatch Watch to wear body. So now Nerd Geek is man about town. Nerd Geek starting the buy of sell of junk bond. And then only drinkings the Coca-Cola. Nerd Geek eat grilled lamb steak every night. And soon purchase old town landfill and convertings into outdoor pool. And such parties he throwings. Nerd Geek become too good for the rest of village. Nerd Geek soon start talkings about Reaganomics. He keep money. He keep. He keep. Body. Nerd Geek Misha Kuzbat offers to buy Hak Furstab just to gettings to work, man. Nerd Geek has all money now. Nerd Geek does not need Hak Furstab. Nerd Geek can buy Dodge Dart now, body. But Nerd Geek says no. And in fit of rage, Misha Kuzbat run over by Hak Furstab. Some in village say, no one was behind Hak Forstab wheel. Big newspaper man from Krakenau come down wanting to take picture of Nerd Geek by landfill pool with Hak Forstab. Except in picture, no Hak Forstab body. Villagers talkings. Hak Forstab cursed body. Hak Forstab bad magics. Hak Forstab Previously ownings by American seeking extraditions, body, and American gunned down inside by Soviet secret police, and blood of American still seeping in Christine, Novichopop. Finally, Nerdgeek go too far. Nerdgeek trying to open real estate office in town. Eh, body. Is too far, Nerd Geek. Villagers had enough. They trickings Nerd Geek to come into middle of town with promise of piles of American dollars and blonde bikini babes and many albums of the wham. Nerd Geek could not resist. Nerd Geek drive into middle of town looking for bodacious blonde bikini babes. And villagers close around him inside Hakforstab. Some say many villagers were eaten by Hakforstab that day, but they pulled him out, feedings him to goat, and then carried Hakforstab all the way to metal reclamation plant to reclaiming some of the metal. Also because they were many of them hungry and wanted hot pretzel. 
once smelling of hot pretzels reaching their noses, they forget things about car and fill their bellies. On reflection, is maybe just looking for a reason to go to pretzel factory body. But car still stays there. And maybe was curse car? Maybe was curse capitalism? Who's to say, body? But Divad say, thinking's twice about using haunted hawk forstop for making the kids cry. Okay, body? I don't want to make the prank. I, I don't want to be a junk bond trader. I want to give the children cabbage bar. Yeah, buddy. That is good boy. Now you go tell Yorgas, Smollett, Junpy, and Ergo what the Divad told you, da? Yeah, Misha Divad. Da, da. Okay, buddy. And happy state-sponsored fear testing and prank festival! Ha 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 